Welcome back to another episode of the Away Days podcast. As always, from the Panic Room, live in my apartment, I'm Nate. Today, uh, feeling a little, you can probably pick it up in the voice, it was uh, it was a long weekend for the kid up in Athens, but um, a good weekend for, for my guest, as always, from a different location this week. The uh, stick in the mud Wi-Fi seems to be working so far, knock on wood, hopefully... Uh, Hopefully it stays that way. But Lathe able to do it from his actual house this time. How are we doing, Lay? Doing pretty good. I got my uh, Wi-Fi being run. You know, the, the hamsters powering it, running on a wheel. It's it was going full fledged, so we're good. Yeah, got your little brother standing on the roof with a uh, piece of aluminum foil in his hand. You know, yeah, trying to get it going. But yeah, good to be back. And we are gonna, you know, I, I kind of teased a little bit my my weekend in college football but I want to get things started first because we haven't done it in a while with some soccer um and actually of all weeks to do this I didn't watch a second of soccer this weekend actually but there <laughs> seems to be some actual news going on overseas this this week um where it is in the past couple maybe not so much but I want to start with the biggest headlines from the weekend um, in the Premier League Man City Liverpool Rematch of the past two Premier League uh, title winners. 2-2 draw, absolute wonder goal from Mo Salah. Um, a spitting incident, it seems. Uh, I don't know if you heard about that, Lath, but Pep Guardiola complaining that people, um, some of the Man City staff were spat on at some point by fans in the game. But um, <laughs> this one had it all. Again, two of the two of the top, the heavyweights um, in the Premier League going at it. Um I think you and I, so we both made a prediction on that game. Um, I know Man City going through a really brutal stretch. Um, what with City or Chelsea in the league last weekend, PSG midweek in UCL, and then Liverpool at Anfield um, this week. But they survive it better, better than I honestly thought they would, and were able to get away um, with a draw. And the way the the table kind of shakes out at the moment. Um, Chelsea capitalize off that. They get a win, move one point clear of Liverpool and City. Um, Liverpool hang on in second at 15 points. Man City in third with 14th. And that's quite a tie up at the top uh, at third. But, Leith, put it to you, I'm sure, like myself, we were both kind of preoccupied with college football this weekend. But I think we both, I certainly did have City losing this game. Because, again, I thought with that grueling schedule, They'd certainly lose one, if not two, of the games between PSG and and Liverpool, and they, of course they did lose that PSG game. We'll get to the to the UCL um, recap in a little bit, but I guess how impressed with City are you at the moment? Given that I really feel like they haven't reached top gear yet, and they're still going toe to toe with Liverpool and Anfield. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about City at the moment, and this was this was a good game because both sides really didn't have any significant injuries. We got to see kind of a full fledged look at both teams, and you saw a lot of good strong things from both. Uh, yeah, that just what sticks out to mind. That's, that Salah goal was just straight up dirty. Um, I cut in on one guy, kind of nutmegged another, and then sent it into the left post. Um, but. But as for City, I felt like they looked pretty good. A little bit shaky on the defense, but you'd, you'd expect that playing against a high-attacking team like Liverpool. But all in all, I thought it was a pretty good showing. And, I mean, really a game where City – I mean, tough tough spot really for them because, you you know, get put on the mat midweek against PSG, get, get pretty handled by them on the road, then come back 
to England, go on another road trip to Liverpool. You go down, you know, again, that, that Sadio Mane gets the first goal in the 59th minute. All of a sudden, you find yourself down again, but they battle back. Phil Foden um, gets a goal for them in the 69th minute, 1-1. Go down again to that wonder goal. Anfield's got to be bumping. You know, a lesser team could really let things get ugly from there. But, no, City battles back, and KDB getting a goal in the 81st minute to tie things up. But I'm just so impressed because you look at the lineup that City's having to trot out here. I mean, Gabriel Jesus, Jack Grealish, I mean, according to this little graphic here that of, of the lineups, has Jack Grealish kind of as the number 10, as the most central forward player. Um, and as good of a creative player as he is and a guy who can bag you 12 goals a season, I don't think he's necessarily the guy you really want on the end of things in the box up there. But, like, looking across this lineup, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Bernardo Silva, um, Raul Hernandez. I think that's Raul. Is that his first name? Um but uh, that's actually a mysterious. Who is number 16 for them? Who is that guy? Uh, Rodri. Uh, no, that's Rodri. bad. That's poor. That's poor. That's on me there. <laughs> but um, Kevin De Bruyne, you know, none of these guys are out and out in tackers. And that's the thing we brought up preseason with them. Like the loss of Aguero, how much is that going to hurt them? And, of course, it's been a while since since Zane was there. But he was another guy you could kind of count on to be a bit more of a goal scorer. Um, and because, like, just the guys they've got there just aren't – aren't that and like I know um, we kind of talked about it with the Ronaldo transfer to United how I thought United could really use just a goal scoring striker a guy who can like because you've got the creative guys and like Bruno and Pogba just somebody who will just finish those chances and I thought Man City really missed out by not getting somebody like Ronaldo because this would be like a tailor-made team for just a goal producing guy to step in um because I and, and I think they'd really been struggling so far this season without it, but here they go in another big spot, able to somehow produce goals from guys who we don't really think of as being goal scorers, and that's like how you end up with Ilkay Gundogan scoring, you know, whatever it was thirteen goals in the league last year. So, you know, this is probably one of the final iterations of Pep City. I know I think he's kind of been on his way out the past couple seasons, just not because of any poor performance, but just kind of a natural parting of the ways is coming up. But I'm just so impressed with what he's able to do. Because like this Manchester City team is nothing like the the dynastic teams he had four or five years ago um, in terms of the way they win games, and it's and it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's interesting to see. I know you you touched on it a little bit there with um, uh, playing uh, uh, Foden in that or the left spot and the Grealish striker. Those I mean Foden's a guy that you usually see creating deeper. So to see him up there in the left flank, and then you've got guys like Sterling and Mares, who were kind of staples of this city team, uh, coming off the bench. Mares not even getting in the game. You got to wonder what Tech's thinking tactically. Yeah, but um, elsewhere in league play, before we get to the big headlines, that if it honestly kind of feels weird to be recapping headlines from what is almost a full week ago in the UCL, <laughs> but just kind of the nature of doing a podcast on Monday is how things kind of shake out. But um, Give me, give me, what's up with Bayern here? I know this isn't, this is by no means a panic button press here, because um, you know they are. We talk a lot about, especially in football, teams being who we thought they were. Everybody knows exactly what you're getting in the form of Bayern, but a little bit of a surprising result losing, uh, losing to Frankfurt um, at the weekend. And of course, it's a long season, and no, no team is is perfect unless you're the Invincibles. Um, which listen, I don't have much to hang my hat on these days. So any Invincibles reference for Arsenal I can get in is I gotta take advantage of. But 
I don't know if you watched that game, Lath, but just from your perspective as a Bayern fan, but also somebody who knows more about this club than most, um, just kind of what you what you think of that? I'm sure you're probably not concerned. I wouldn't think. Yeah, no, I'm not too concerned. Uh, I think a lot of this was heavy legs. You know, we played in the Champions League game a few days before, and for the past couple Bundesliga matches, Nagelsmann's been kind of mixing things up, experimenting with different guys, young players getting. Uh, this is one of the first games in a while where we've just kept the exact same lineup out there for two straight games. And, you know, we, we were a little unlucky combining with the fact of, that Kevin Trapp had a great game in goalie. I think he had about nine or ten saves on the day. So, yeah, it was just a little bit a little bit sloppy on Bayern's end. I'm not too concerned, like you said, because it's a long season and Bayern usually doesn't struggle too much in the league. But I think this is just a combination of guys being out there uh, two quick games in a row and then some pretty fair play from um, <clears throat> from Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, Philip Kostic, a guy that you really don't talk about much in the uh, in the Bundesliga, he wreaked havoc on Bayern's defense all day at that left mid spot. So, I mean, it, it was fair play. Uh, it wasn't the best Bayern team I've seen as of late, but it's not something to be too concerned about in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you look at the stats, it's definitely what you'd expect from a Bayern match. I mean, dominated possession, um, had more shots on target, certainly, but not a crazy amount. Um, But just a classic kind of underdog taking advantage of the little chances that they did get. Um, And yeah, that's, again, looking at the table there, now tied on points with Bayer Leverkusen at the top, but again, only seven games in. Um, and Byron's actually going to get a chance to get some separation up at the top with a match um, against Leverkusen that I know we've got on our big board uh, making some picks here in a little bit. But just thought I'd throw that in there. You, you know, it's it's kind of like when it happens, you got to talk about it. Just Byron don't <laughs> lose in the league, especially at home all that often. Um, so when it happens, you got to talk about it. But I'm with you. Uh, certainly just more of a minor, minor, you know, annoyance, if anything, um, for the Bavarians. But something that's not uh, – such a minor occurrence, um, especially as of late for my Arsenal. A nil-nil draw against Brighton. Um, I was actually a little worried about this game going into it. You know, coming off a big North London derby win, um, you've got, again, how much the players actually buy into this stuff. I don't know, but, you know, you've got media pundits, and you t- I talk- we talked about Arlo White on the call for the North London Derby game last time after one of the goals saying, like, is this the day that we'll remember as when Arsenal turned it around? I'm just like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. So, like, going into this game, I was really preparing myself for a letdown. Honestly, if you could have told me I could have had a draw pregame, I would have took it just because in order – because you got international break coming up now, so it's going to be several, you know, several, several days before Arsenal's next game. It looks like next Premier League match day is October 16th. So – you know, when you're coming off a three-game win streak, riding high, coming up against a team like Brighton, who's actually sixth in the league right now. Um, when you look at the standings, they're actually tied for as high as third. Um, it's a it's Brighton, Everton, United, City, all tied um, at 14 points for third. Um, but, you know, going into an international break, I just really wanted Arsenal to not just have that all that momentum just leak out right before this break because you know if you lose the last game before a break that's all the media that's all the fans are going to be yeah. thinking about for the next two weeks um so really i just wanted us to avoid a loss um and they were able to do that now we were straight up outplayed i wasn't again it's really shitty um 
planning here by the the powers that be at NBC for this one. Which, granted, it's Arsenal Brighton. Like that's probably not their game. They're trying to get into the the prime TV viewing spot. But this game was at twelve thirty Eastern. Like the Georgia game, the Georgia football game had been going for thirty minutes by the time this game kicked off. Um, so I'm in the stadium like with the really bad service. You know, God, you can't even try to stream it. Um, not that I would have, like, in a football game, but just trying to do my best to keep up with the score and pe- checked in periodically and saw that it was 0-0. But from everything I've seen from the guys at Gunner Blog and The Athletic and people that I that I read that cover Arsenal, um, seems like we were a bit lucky to uh, to get away with, it, with even a point. Um, good game from Aaron Ramsdale, some more saves. He's really been... Um, you know, impressive in his first in his first few starts since coming over from Sheffield United. Who, you know, there's always going to be that kind of negative headline when you sign a goalkeeper from a team that you know that gets like relegated. Like they're because obviously they let in a lot of goals. Like you're like, what are you doing signing a keeper <laughs> who lets in a lot of goals? Um, but he's been a real pleasant. I don't want to say surprise because when you pay whatever it was thirty thirty five million or whatever for him, you know, you're expecting a certain product, but I didn't expect him to come in and just take Bern Leno's spot like this quickly. I thought it would have taken until at least Christmas, but he had a solid game. And then this kind of classic offensive struggles rearing its head from last season. Um, but proud, proud of the clean sheet, especially a Brighton side at home that was not going to sit back and let us and let us just you know dominate possession the way Arsenal, in theory, would like to play. I'm not going to say that <laughs> even happens all that often anymore, but in theory, that's the idea. Um, yeah, looking at the, the the stats, I mean, Brighton with 21 shots, only two of them on target, but um, compared to Arsenal, it's just eight. Um, Arsenal did lose the possession battle, not badly, but um, again, one of those where I think you're just kind of like take the draw, get to the international break, get get a couple weeks of training ahead of um, ahead of the next one against Crystal Palace, a rematch, or not even so a rematch, but a uh, Historically significant matches. Patrick Vieira is the uh, manager over at Palace, and he's got he's got that squad in pretty decent shape. So, um, talked way too long than I should have about a nil nil draw for Arsenal, but all in all, uh, not too bad of a result, I don't think. And then finally in the uh, club sector, Atletico handling Barca, um, which is a, a pick that we both had um, in La Liga. Yeah. Thought Atletico would get the job done, um, but it, again, we talked about a tough spot for City coming off of that midweek result in the Champions League. Barca getting just manhandled at Benfica in the UCL and having to turn right around and play Luis Suarez and company um, is not is not a tight is not a position you want to be in. Um, but with that, because I know both of us are kind of a bit more educated kind of on how things went in the UCL, I want to tie using the La Liga framework here, kind of tie things into the results from midweek. So you've got Real Madrid going down to Sheriff losing a game. God, I don't even want to know what the odds were on Sheriff. I wish I'd bet on it, but who in their right mind bet on that game? Nobody. Um, at least not on Sheriff anyway. But they lose. Then they turn around and lose this weekend. Uh, lose to Espanyol. Atleti seems to be taking care of business, but I guess like as, as somebody who, like me, looks at La Liga kind of at arm's length, we don't have a team in that league and have a real reason to pay super close attention to it. Is this, is I mean at this point do you have to put like even even the Bundesliga I think you kind of have to at this point the Bundesliga as a more I don't want to say competitive because the fact no, that Real Madrid that. 
Well, but the fact, but the fact that Real Madrid and Atleti, or excuse me, that Real Madrid and Barca are bad, actually, if you think about it, makes that league more competitive because now you have, you know, what I'm saying like, like, yeah, Real Madrid I mean, and Barca being bad actually makes that league more competitive. But I'm saying, right now, if you had to, you know, put a gun to my head and said pick a league that the UCL semifinalists will come from, I think you even throw a team like Dortmund in there as being more likely to have, like, like. The Bundesliga have it being more likely to have two than than even I think maybe even La Liga having one. Yeah, I mean that's kind of been the case the past couple of years too. Uh, I mean we've seen the UCL struggles from both these teams, and we've seen the Bundesliga produce sides like the Leipzig side from two years ago that made it to the semis, and then Dortmund always challenges. And every now and then when uh, Leverkusen is able to hold on to their talent, they make kind of a, a surge in the tournament. So. I think at this point, just looking at the state of both Barca and Real Madrid, I, I don't think that it's too far-fetched uh, to say that the Bundesliga is a more competitive side, as you were kind of leaning to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I doubt we have any crossover listeners from our previous podcast of the relegation zone, but I I love a good jest at the expense of the Bundesliga. But but man, like, I guess if, but I guess if you're a La Liga person, you probably really like this though, because um, the majority of clubs are in in La Liga are benefiting from this kind of downward trajectory of both Barcelona and Real Madrid, um, which the Barcelona one doesn't surprise me, but and I know we're both not well-versed enough in the inner workings of Real Madrid to try to understand what's going on there, but Barca's a dumpster fire, absolute shit show. Like, that's not necessarily the biggest shock in the world that they're not winning. Why PSG can't get things done against a Moldovan side in the Champions League, That that is a whole other thing, and I'll... You know, I know we kind of texted briefly back and forth about that, but real quick, just what is what were you thinking when you saw that scoreline with Sheriff? Because I don't even know what what I was watching with that, to be honest. <laughs> I was just I thought it was hilarious because we kind of joked about them uh, surprising people in the tournament a few pods ago to see them actually kind of pull one out. And this is the first thing when when they started winning, I looked up Sheriff because I at the, I was like, okay, where where even are these dudes? I didn't know it was Moldova. I wanted to go check it out. And literally, when you go on their Wikipedia page, it says, city located in the unrecognized breakaway state of Transnistria. So this is an unrecognized area that's just coming in and just taking it to Real Madrid. That is just awesome. I mean, you want to talk about you are unknown. They yeah. are unknown out there. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, but if, I mean... I just can't wait for the 30 for 30 to come out on this team, you know, or mm-hmm. probably more like the 60 minutes, given all the legal issues that seem to maybe be surrounding this club as well. Yeah. Um, oh, we, we need but, to get one of those, uh, what are those Amazon series called that follow? The all or nothings. Club? Yeah, all or nothing, Sheriff. <laughs> yeah, something tells me you try to bring a camera uh, into that city over there. You have a uh, rather large mustachioed uh, Spetsnaz X, you know, uh, soldier just <laughs> murder you or something like that. I don't know. But for those of you that are slightly more unaware, not that I even exactly know, but kind of the 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 beat on FC Sheriff is they were founded by former KGB agents. Um, they're not a very old club. Uh, debuted the first their first um, season in the first league of Moldova, which you're right. They technically aren't in Moldova, but they play in the Moldovan league because um, I don't imagine that uh, – Transnistria has a really thriving first top flight, <laughs> but um, their their first season in the top flight of Moldova was 1998, so they're about as old as we are. Um, so yeah, they're kind of 
fishy as to how they came about. But, you know, they're getting it done on the field, and that, that erases a lot of problems. Um, but really, really interesting to watch, and I'll definitely keep, you know, if you didn't know who they were before, well, you definitely do do now. So they're one to keep an eye on as we go through uh, through the UCL. And then another, again, we touched on it briefly when talking about Manchester City, but how about PSG? getting it done when they when they really had to because um, you you go down if you go draw a loss um, in that group you basically with a with a so with somebody like city in there like your chances of winning the group kind of go kaput if that happens but they're able to to get it done when it matters now actually tied at the top of that group a with club Bruges um, but I think we'll we'll see them fade likely. But poor old Leipzig, trying to give some credit to the Bundesliga here, but they're win <laughs> you know no points through two games so far from them. Um, but I'm just curious, kind of you know Messi finally gets finally gets his goal at PSG. Now they turn right around and lose this past weekend at Rennes. But I think if you've paid attention to PSG long enough, you know they don't really care about the league. They didn't even win the league last year. Um, so I guess. My question to you, Leith, would be, you know, some news kind of coming out, Kylian Mbappe basically admitting openly that, yeah, I told the board at PSG that I wanted to leave this summer. It didn't happen. You see the kind of undercurrents of whether it's personalities not working, whether it's just guys not having that chemistry yet. Like, we've seen two PSGs in the past week, one that's capable of handling Manchester City in the Champions League and also one that can't beat Stad Wren. Which of these, I think, I'm not going to say which is the real one because I don't think anybody expects losing Turin to become a consistent thing. But I think, do you think which, from what you've seen from PSG so far, the good and the bad, has your opinions on what they're capable of changed? Uh, I wouldn't say my opinions of what they're capable of have changed. I would just say that I really am starting to expect a lot more from Pochettino now. You know, they come into that Manchester City game, they play a 4-3-3, and they looked fantastic in all facets of the game. But then you turn around against uh, Rene and play a 4-2-3-1 kind of experiment. you got Messi in kind of a deeper role. I, I, I feel at this point you shouldn't be experimenting too much, and you really should. I mean, there are a few games in now. He should have a pretty good idea about what he wants this team to look at or to look like now at this point. So uh, Pochettino is a guy that, I mean, I know you and I both thought he was a pretty good manager like a few years ago, especially when he was at Tottenham and managed to get them to the final. Um, so I, I don't know. I just expected a lot more out of him in terms of getting the most out of these players. I still think the talent's there, and that's not a bold statement by any means. But I think he's really going to have to show something going forward if he wants to compete. Well, and I mentioned this, I think it was a couple pods ago now, but Pochettino kind of made his hay, made his name – at a club at Spurs where they were far from a finished team. In fact, I think he was around for – I think he was around for the post-bail just money influx where basically, (laughs) all right, here's some money, build a team basically from scratch now. Um, And it didn't work at first. Uh, They actually a lot of port – like Paulinho, if you can even remember that name, a guy guy (laughs) that came in in that trolley dash from that summer. And who knows, maybe Pochettino wasn't even there for that. But – my point was is that he's a guy who's made himself famous and shown that he's really, you know, exceptional at taking a team that doesn't yet have an identity or doesn't yet have stars and like 
getting the best out of guys that previously hadn't shown it yet. Like, Hyungmin Son was far from the world-class player he now is, you know, before he arrived at Spurs um, and, you know, under Pochettino's tutelage. Like, he is a club-building coach, not a ready-made club coach, if that makes sense. Um, like, I think I compared him to to Jose Mourinho, who has made a career out of showing up at a club that's one player slash one manager away from winning a Champions League or going and winning a league and then kind of a flash in the pan, ultimately you realize he's a dick and a dumbass and goes somewhere <laughs> else and does it for a little bit. It works for a little bit because he actually is really talented at getting the best out of already ready-made stars. Um, whereas Pochettino, I feel like, is more of a give him a few years, give him some patience, give him some time to really implement his own style and some players that he can mold and he can turn them into a good unit you know, after after a while, but like walking into a locker room with Neymar and and Messi, and honestly, even at this point, Mbappe, he's still super young. But you know, you win a World Cup, that kind of goes to your head. Like it's probably probably a, a bit harder to uh, you know to convince him to play a certain way. And I don't know that that's what it is. I don't have any inside information into PSG's locker room, obviously. But I just think that. You know, as much as I hate to give a guy like Jose Mourinho credit, I think if you drop Jose Mourinho into this club, or God, what they would do to have Tuchel back, I think. Oh. Because um, that's really what he did at Chelsea. He just took some guys that were already there and just made them better, you know. Um, but, yeah. Well, they're... well, let me ask you. So, I know we've talked about this before, about balancing kind of those egos. Do you think that that's something that Pochettino can do? Now that these, I mean, this, you're right, this is kind of the first lineup where he's had to balance multiple personalities of star players. And I know you saw the game a few a few weeks ago where he kind of took Messi off and there was a little bit of an, of just, just some frustration there. And that happens all the time. But do you think that this is something that kind of stems from the locker room? Well, I think it's less a personality thing, more of a trying to teach old dogs new tricks, if that makes sense. Like, Messi has played... Mm-hmm one way a very effective way for his whole career and that's been his way like a team that focused itself entirely around him um, as you should like that's not I'm not calling him you know Terrell Owens complaining that he's not getting the ball like as you should but you've got a guy who's never played for another club coming into a new system and a system that Pochettino Keep in mind, it'd be different if he had been at PSG for a few years and now yeah. like already had a system, and then you add Messi to that. You're throwing Messi into a situation where Pochettino doesn't really know what he's got yet, um, or at least hasn't. Because this, I mean, this is what his second. He's coming up on a little over a full calendar year at the club, I think. Yeah. So, um, he's just like, it's not that these parts can't fit. It's just they're only going to fit probably a certain way, and he just still hadn't figured it out yet, which I don't think is a knock on him per se. But, you know, come Christmas, you know, that's why you see these, like, really short-term, like, stops for some of these managers because it's just so hard to find that sweet spot for a while, you know, like a semi-permanent thing. And so I could see, Poch, if they don't have – Things sorted, you know, come the real sharp end of the UCL competition, you know, come quarterfinals. I could see them letting him go because, like, as good of a coach as I think he is, like, if with the talent he's got there, if they don't, if they don't honestly play for the final, it's it's a failure. So, 
And whether that's on him, whether that's on personalities in the locker room, who knows, but that's just the way things are. Um, but yeah, so tough road ahead with PSG, especially if they're going to be losing to people like Ren, but still still relatively confident that they can get things back. And while we've been on the subject of UCL, I want to check in for our first time now that we've got a because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to check in on our predictions for the group after one game. But after two, still probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's fun to go and look and see uh, how, how we're doing. So uh, going through our predictions, both of us in Group A had PSG and City going through. You had City winning the group. I had PSG. Of course, early days, but PSG with a slight leg up now. Liverpool, Atletico, both looking pretty solid there. Ajax, Dortmund, again, bang on there. Both teams with six points. Um, first group where things get interesting is Group D, obviously, with the way uh, Sheriff have shaken things up and the way just Inter have looked pretty poor um, through through the first two games. We both have Real Madrid and Inter going through, um, but... I'm curious to see, again, quick take here because I want to run through the rest of these. Which do you think is more likely that it happens? Because looking at that at that group standings here, Group D, Sheriff on top with six points, that and those are wins at Shakhtar and at Real Madrid. They've yet to play. Actually, their their first one over Shakhtar, I think, was was in Tarizniaz or wherever that place is. Um, but... A win at Real Madrid. I think going into the group, you would everybody would agree that's the single hardest fixture, going to the Bernabeu for for anybody in that group. So they've already gotten the first one out of the way with a win. Real Madrid in second on three points. Inter and Shakhtar tied for third um, on one point. Which do you think is more likely that Sheriff can do just enough to hold that advantage and go through, or Inter catching them because? Already being five points clear of Inter, you gotta feel like, and because their next UCL game will be against each other, you gotta feel like if Sheriff can just get a draw out of that, you'd feel pretty good about them getting out. But I'm just kind of curious how much faith you have in Inter being able to claw back. And you said that second win that they had was against Shakhtar. Yeah, yeah. So Sheriff won match day one against Shakhtar and then against Real Madrid, whereas Inter drew Shakhtar and lost to Madrid. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, this one's tough. I, as much as I'd like to see them in there, I don't know if they're going to be able to hold on. I mean, they've got nothing to lose, so they can play just as hard and throw everything at them. But this is an inter team that I think still made some decent moves over the summer, and I'll, I feel like we'll see them claw back and kind of gain that second spot with Real Madrid taking the top. Well, I certainly hope so as a guy who at least has a tiny, tiny stake in how Inter do now. Um <laughs> But I'm telling you, that the next UCL game is Sheriff at Enter. If Sheriff can come away with a draw there, that's a long oh, way back for Enter. Because then, then you stay five points down with, with three games to go. You got to feel like they the Shakhtar game becomes must win. The, the next Sheriff game becomes must win. And you'll be going to Terraznapol or wherever. <laughs> like, Tough environment. T- I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, fucking famous, famous crowd over there. Like, oh, yeah. So, anyway, that's that group. Um, and then kind of going, basically the rest are pretty pretty chalk for the most part compared to uh, kind of compared to what, what we thought they were going to be. And then really all of our picks are basically the same for the most part. Um, but Barca, Barca at the same time also looks like a team who's not, not getting through. Um, 
look down at that group. They are dead last in Group E, having lost to Benfica. Um, I think we're both going to end up taking an L there. Um, but but good on you, Benfica. Way to way to go through. But before we take a break, Lay, you got any got anything you want to add to UCL? Anything else from the football weekend that you feel we need to touch on? Uh, just while we're talking about Barca, have you seen the recent rumors about Ten Hag coming in over there? I haven't, but if you're Eric Ten Hag, man, I wouldn't touch that club with a 10-foot pole, man. Like, he's in kind of a spot where you just wait a couple more years for another job to come open and you can take another one. Like, Yeah, but you know, from Barca's side, I see where they're going. We talked the last Well, no problem. shit. Like, anybody's better than well, okay, <laughs> what but, they got but listen, right now. Listen, though, I mean... Looking, looking at the, the the guys that they're throwing out there. I mean, especially the first leg against Bayern in the UCL. It's just a bunch of young, talented players, 17, 18 year olds. It's only, it's basically Ajax 2.0 over there. So, um, if you're Ten Hag, you're still kind of doing the same thing. Great, granted at a greater scale, but it's somebody who's been known to form and shape younger players uh, and to, to grow into that role. So. Yes, yes, he's an elite manager, and anybody would want him. But it makes sense in terms of looking at the overall fit, in my opinion. No, yeah, it does make sense for Barca. It just doesn't make any sense for Ten Hag. <laughs> so, um, but who knows? Maybe I mean, there's the Dutch connection. Well, and obviously he's at Ajax. The connection between Ajax and that club is is well well known. So you know, there's certainly that wouldn't be the biggest shock move ever. But again, I ugh, I just. I just don't see how if you're any a manager with any real aspirations of of building his name further, because um, you know Ronald Koeman didn't hurt in his prospects going down there like he you know, <laughs> going there and getting a payday for two years and then kind of calling it yeah. quits is not that bad of a thing for him. But a guy like Ten Hag is so young and still early in his career has yet to really manage a top top side. Like you don't want to kill your career before you really get it going with a team like Barcelona, but. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We, we When we come back, college football wild weekend um, all across the country. Um, and introducing our past couple uh, segments of the last few pods has been insert team name here. What the fuck? New segment, hashtag fraud watch coming up. I obviously was at the University of Georgia game against Arkansas. What was supposed to be a top 10 matchup ended, just be, ended up being a just complete ass whooping. That's literally, I think that's actually the technical term for that. Um, <laughs> but it ended up being not a close game at all. Um, but I don't want to start there. I want to start in upset central or what I'm taking to calling hashtag fraud watch. We've had a few, I mean, that's kind of been our main topic of conversation through the first few weeks. Like who is actually good learning pretty quickly that a lot of these teams, Clemson, Oregon, you know, Add A and M to this list, Ohio State. Basically, you know, take your pick. Texas teams that have been an extreme disappointment, but when you actually look at it closely, you shouldn't have been disappointed in them. You should have just known that they weren't that good. Um, but this week, big, big week for teams getting exposed for what they really are, which is average to in the case of A and M, probably a pretty damn below average team actually. Uh, but I want to start with number three, Oregon, losing in overtime against Stanford. I know that you watched a decent amount of this game. Um, I guess kind of take us through your analysis of that one. Like, I don't think either of us were high on Oregon at any point this year, even after the win against Ohio State. I think 
at least me personally, I thought that was more about Ohio State not being quite there rather than Oregon being that good. But just how bad of a loss for Oregon is this? I think that's got to be a playoff potential killer for sure. Yeah, I, I think for sure, especially in the Pac-12. You know, watching this game, it kind of starts at the quarterback position. Anthony Brown, a guy that they brought in and they thought was going to kind of take the reins and be the kind of the next dude to step up after Herbert, really has not performed the way that you'd expect from him. Uh, the offense looked a lot less explosive than it has in recent weeks, but they still have put themselves in a good position. And at the end of the game, with like a minute 50 left, the uh, the ESPN ticker had Oregon with a 99.9% chance. Uh, Stanford was starting with their ball after a penalty at their own four-yard line, and uh, it just didn't look great for them, but they punched it down the field. They, they kept hitting the kind of RPOs going. Oregon couldn't stop it, and they found a way to pull this one out. So in terms of your original question, yes, I think that this it's got to knock Oregon off the board in terms of uh, playoff spot. Yeah, I was I was talking um, cuz well, this was a pretty late game, right? Or relatively. Yeah, it was uh, fairly late, like a 6 or 7. Yeah. Um I was talking with some guys after the UGA game and talking about, you know, who's contenders or whatever. And they're asking like what I thought about Oregon. I was like, "Well, Oregon's going to find a way to lose. Like they've got a few, you know, there's nobody in the Pac-12 that you're like, wow, they should beat Oregon. But I was like, between UCLA and USC and even Oregon State, who's surprising people, like Oregon's going to find a way to lose a game. And I said, hell, they may lose today. And that was before they actually played. <laughs> um, I wish I got to say I put my money where my mouth was there. But, yeah, just to, again, fraud watch confirmed. We have watched it. It's now a fraud warning. Um, they are definitely they are definitely not. I mean, it's, it's just classic Pac-12. Like, yeah, I think this is the longest time in years that a they've had a team like because it's a it's been a couple weeks, two or three weeks now that Oregon's been inside the top ten. Um, I think a couple weeks inside the top five, um, and yet still just to do something like this and just lay an egg against a Stanford team like this is probably the highest a, a Pac-12 team has been ranked since the last time Oregon made the playoff back in 2014, 2015. Yeah, um, and just to just to not even for those fans to not even get to live on that for a few weeks, man. <laughs> like first time you crack the top three, here come the fucking Cardinal coming at you. Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> the tree, the trees coming at you. I know, tough. I mean, but just Oregon, just get out of it. I'm just glad we can quit, quit talking about them being being something that they're just obviously not. Um, another one, just kind of fraud confirmed, um, and just to prove that we are, we're not a. SEC absolute homer podcast. Obviously, Lath and Auburn guy, me a Georgia guy. We think more highly of our conference, but fraud confirmed here. Number ten, Florida. You know, thought they had something, um, had a chance to beat Alabama at home, lose by two, and then you turn around and and, and reward your top ten ranking with a with a loss at Kentucky. Um, like so, that just goes to show. Like it's not just a Pac-12 problem. I think this is really the. This year, more than, than any, you've got just a top two that just seem to be that much better than everybody else. But um, Florida, for for team for, for fans who are hoping that, that somebody's going to end Georgia's dominance in the East, and I know Florida won the East last year, but that was a really special team with Kyle Trask and those guys. But for teams that were hoping for some speed bump in the East for Georgia, you got disappointed with what Florida showed you last week. 
Yeah, and the only argument here would be that that Kentucky team that beat them is undefeated. But again, once you do a little bit more sleuthing, you go into that schedule, you see a close win against a bad Missouri team. You see a, a just barely edging out Chattanooga, repping our home area, and then barely beating a very poor South Carolina team. I don't think there's too much to get excited about for this Kentucky team, so I think that's really looking like a bad loss for the Gators. Yeah, it's um... – I mean, but at the same time, you look at, I saw a funny TikTok of, you know, like uh, the annual or like the weekly SEC roundtable where the t- teams get together and, uh, and the like the guy like impersonates each, each team, you know, and. Oh um, yeah. And, and, and. SEC shorts. Yeah. Well, there, well, there's a bunch of them. So the one that I saw is an SEC shorts, but you're right. Like they do a great job of that too. Mm. Um, but this guy. When he has the Kentucky shirt on, he's like, "Put us at number one, you cowards!" We're four and zero. But it was uh, it was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kentucky has me worried only because I actually took them season under win total, and they're definitely going over on that now. Um, but it was only like seven and a half, like nothing crazy. But the fact that they're you know five and zero is not uh, don't need a whole lot else to get that done. Um, yeah, just basically, really, what that does is confirm that Florida is is not it. Um, which I the 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 smallest part of me worries a little bit about a wounded Florida team. You know, I think I would have preferred Florida maybe not lose that game, but win a close one and kind of keep that airy just Dan Mullen thinking they're hot shit. Because God, he's the most pompous dude ever. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh. but. As much as I th- as much as I think he's full of full of himself, there's nobody more arrogant thinking that they've got something than Ole Miss. Talking about Lane Kiffin saying, "Get the popcorn ready, throwing <laughs> the headset on the ground." Oh. Lath, I know you can't be a big Ole Miss guy, but as an Auburn guy, seeing Alabama really handle them, did you? You probably had some small hope that maybe Ole Miss could show you something. Maybe pull a classic good bow, bad bow, and fuck around and beat the tide, but didn't happen this time. Yeah, no, watching that one, and you're right. He he did think he had something, and a lot of a lot of analysts did. You saw a lot of upset picks of them uh, on multiple shows across the board. But and you know, it, it comes back. We had talked about how they the defense was improving. It just you didn't see it at all this week. Granted, Ole Miss offense failed and put them in a few bad spots, but they talked about it on air. Bama came in against the Ole Miss team that's really more, uh, I guess, speed, DB types of play, uh, and just put in another lineman and just ran the ball over them. I think that Robinson, a running back for Bama, had three or four touchdowns. It's just they reverted back to that kind of old-school offensive football that you see, um, that you saw about 10 years ago and just absolutely just dominated them on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, it was – again, I – I didn't really have any stake in that game. Didn't really care to me. Um, didn't matter to me who who really won that. I was kind of hoping to see just a little something more interesting from Ole yeah. Miss, just because I talked about it last week. Like, you know, I love like there's just so many great classic games in that Ole Miss Alabama. If you mm. can call that a rivalry, I guess just that matchup really. But <laughs> um, it would have been just the storylines would have been so cool. Just like just a close fourth quarter, really. Just going into it, I would have I would have loved. Um, but no, Nick Saban and Bama, they don't fuck around. Um, Scoreline ended up a little closer than it was. I think it ended 42-21 um, or something or other around those. But, yeah, Bama taking care of business. Um, never, never in doubt. Um, 
And yeah, we're talking about fraud confirmed. Bama certainly. If I don't know why there was the take out there a couple of weeks ago when they survived Florida, that yeah, of course that looks worse now after after what Kentucky did to them. But there's some people kind of doubting Bama after that game, and I was just like, come on, you go on the road and beat a top ten team in a tough environment. Like now, you could say now after that loss to Kentucky, like they were not a top ten team. But looking around the country, man, I don't know who is. Like, nobody is really staking the claim <laughs> saying, hey, we're actually all that good. Because um, that brings that brings up Notre Dame. Um, hmm. Of course, they were actually home underdogs in this game. Um, a, a, a betting streak there coming to an end uh, for those that were listening to the pod last take. I think I quoted this. I may not have. But um, Brian Kelly um, at Notre Dame was something or other like, Six and zero against the spread as home underdogs, and like four of those were outright wins. Well, they don't really get anywhere close to Cincinnati in this game. Lose twenty four to thirteen at home. And my question for you, Lath, and I'll save my thoughts on Cincinnati um, for after I hear what you have to say about Notre Dame. But Is this Notre Dame like I guess where in the past few seasons of Notre Dame teams does this kind of shake out for you? Like were you expecting what they've shown in past seasons before where like they're definitely a good enough team to make the playoff and then get their ass beat, or were you never even thinking they were gonna get through this season, this regular season undefeated? No, I never thought that they would. And you know, remember I made that pick that I was wrong on. Uh, I thought they would fall to Wisconsin, but I said they're either gonna lose to Wisconsin or they're gonna lose to Cincinnati. One of those games are taking the loss. It turned to be this game. And, it, you know, they, they couldn't run the ball. And that was what they really cut their teeth on last year with Kyron Williams and uh, Chris Tyree. And this is a Notre Dame team. They're not going to throw the ball down the field. They used three different quarterbacks this time. Bring in Jack Cohn. You think he's the guy. He's not looked great. Drew Pines, third string. Tyler Buckner coming in, who's really more of a running guy. They just they don't have the answer at the QB position. And that's you stop the run you stop that offense. So I think looking at that, it became pretty obvious that this was going to be a team that was going to fall short of the expectations that maybe some of their fans had laid out before this year. Yeah, and of course, being Notre Dame, I don't know why necessarily, but the expectations are always pretty high. Um, Mm -hmm. They're always up there. But looking at Cincinnati, I actually got a really good look at Cincinnati last year um, in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl where Georgia played them. was an absolute dogfight of a game. Um, when I say that Cincinnati deserved to win that, I don't think they necessarily straight up outplayed Georgia, but it took some pretty bad mismanagement of that game late for Georgia to come back and win. Um, and I honestly left that game with a real negative uh, opinion of Cincinnati. Like, I kind of hate them now. Like, just how obnoxious <laughs> some of those fans were. Um, and just thinking, you know, I mean, I, we were sitting next to some guys who were jumping up and down and screaming and losing their mind when, when they would get like a six yard gain. Like, dude, I know you've never been there before, but try to fucking act like it. Like, please. Um, but I was impressed last year with the team Cincinnati had, and it looks like they haven't really lost a step. Desmond Ritter, obviously returning. Um, didn't know he's like a straight up dad. Like, I, I think he has like a relatively. Yeah. Like not like a toddler child, like a, <laughs> like like it might know how to not shit itself at this point. You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's past the huggies at this. Stage. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so so I, I don't know I don't know what's up with that, but but yeah they got a they looks like they got a pretty solid team there, but mm, I think 
I just just miss me with all this them talking about in the playoff because like yeah they're because what what did they move up in the AP poll now because they were they were five going into that they got to be top four now right I uh, think they're five I think well, they, they were are seven, they five so right now they were seven five, five now, now. Yeah. okay yeah well well do you think they're the best team in Ohio now you think they're better than Ohio State. <sighs> That's tough. I think, I think, I guess, yeah, I guess right now you say that. But if, you know, three weeks from now, if Ohio State and Cincinnati were to play, I would think Ohio State would win that game. Um, but it's just, you can't sound like anything but a hater right now if you say Cincinnati is, <laughs> is not probably a better team um, than Ohio State. But my, my question, does this now – cement them as like by far the best non power five team because kind of coming into the year you always kind of expect UCF to be around they've lost a couple bad games I think they actually lost again last week um I had kept my eye on Fresno State who put it on UCLA a couple weeks ago but then I think they lost again last week um and then you've got Coastal sitting there um kind of really as the only as the as the only one inside the top fifteen, so now because now well BYU still sitting there undefeated. BYU, I don't know how much. Yeah. Okay, okay. So let's see what you think there. I think that's you got to still have Cincinnati is surely better than them, but you know, would you definitively say yes? They're the they're the by far the best non power five team. I think that you had do have to go with Cincinnati just because even though we both call I mean, Notre Dame, obviously that's what, obviously Cincinnati is yes they are but are they definitively like can you see any way that BYU finishes the season in a better spot than Cincinnati is basically what I'm asking or Coastal for that matter. Uh, well, I could see him finishing in a better spot if you're just talking about looking at schedules. Yeah, I mean BYU is not in a conference. I don't know how many tough games they have going forward, so. Uh, I could see them finishing ahead of a Cincinnati, but Cincinnati's the only one that has beaten. Uh, well, I guess Notre Dame's not necessarily a Power Five team, but you you know where I'm coming from. Yeah, you know they, they've proven a little bit more. Yeah, I but, mean, uh, don't sleep on that BYU team. Nah, nah, I will. I think I'm. I think I'm good. I'll, I think I'll sleep on them. Uh, <laughs> I like Coastal, man. I don't. I mean, because they're just not going to lose a game. Of course, being in the fun belt, you know, like. At least Cincinnati will have, especially scheduling Notre game, Notre game, Notre Dame. They'll uh, they'll um, have a good enough win on the schedule by then. Because I think when we were talking about this on the pod last week, like it looked like for Notre Dame, as bad as they kind of not have been, but like I think as low as we both were on them, we looked at that schedule and thought, okay, if they can get past Cincinnati, they're probably going undefeated. Um, so you got to expect since or you know Notre Dame still ends up as a ten win team, so that win's going to look really good for Cincinnati, and therefore they actually will probably end up with the strength of schedule to have a playoff push. Whereas Coastal, I think, is a really good team, but you've beaten the Citadel, you've beaten Kansas, you've beaten Buffalo, UMass, UL Monroe. They got Arkansas State this week. App State is by far the best team on the schedule they play. I actually do have Troy in a couple weeks who gave South Carolina a run for their money. but um, It's not saying much, though. <laughs> but, yeah, for the Chanticleers who are, you can definitively say the best team in South Carolina, I think, um, which who would have thought that. <laughs> at any point in history. Um, I just don't think they had the strength of schedule to really to really do a whole lot. And I didn't mean to derail this into, like, literally not on the show notes at all was talk about Coastal Carolina. Because um, <laughs> we're not even really through 
through my first little fraud watch segment. But real quickly here, fraud confirmed Clemson. We talked about it with Oklahoma last week, who again did another Oklahoma thing this week and win, but look like crap doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Clemson does that, beat BC, but like again, somebody else is going to get Clemson. I really think they end the year uh, with with at least three losses. I don't know who it's going to be because the ACC is just that bad, but who knows? I I keep a close eye on on them the rest of the year, not in terms of actually watching good football, but just to see them to see them <laughs> lose because I'd expect another one. Then A and M, how you gonna lose to dang Mississippi State? Yeah, that that's just bad, 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 bad. And I don't. This is such a this one confounds me because you know I talked about how deep I thought that A and M was in terms of skill and just talent across the board, and they have just underperformed so bad. And you don't. Usually when you see that, you blame the coach. But would you blame Jimbo at this point? Well, I don't think – I think Jimbo is a bit of a fraud, yeah. Because on the one hand, he's one of one, two – help me out here. Two active coaches for sure have won a national championship. Three. He's one of three active coaches currently coaching in – the NCAA that have won a national championship. So that just shows you how freaking hard it is to do that. So, or excuse me, sorry, four, you throw in, I forget about the one-off LSU. You throw in yeah. at Orgeron. But again, point remains the same, how just difficult that is to do. So if you ever do it, you basically got to give that dude credit for a while. Um, but at the same time, man, he's recruiting as well as anybody over at AM, and they had to be better than this, man. Like, I'm not a big believer in preseason rankings. You know, just because the media, before you've ever played a game, think you're supposed to be good doesn't mean that you should be ranked somewhere. But everybody's expectations for them were higher than this. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know what you put it on. I really don't. I'd be curious to get a, a real A&M fans or somebody who knows the ins and outs of that program, what, what it actually is going wrong there. Um, but quarterback play for straight up they're just not that's just not been good enough um but yeah they're certified frauds for sure yeah. we talked a little bit about oklahoma again no real reason to watch it well well and we'll get to it in a second with our with our college picks but they they get texas in the red river showdown this week um as one of the few teams as bad as oklahoma is texas is maybe just one of about two or three teams who maybe could actually expose them um but i think if ou plays georgia tomorrow georgia beats them by 28 I really do. I really do. But um, before we move on, we gotta we gotta motor a little a little quickly here, running up against Monday Night Football here. But Auburn, I I owe you an official apology here, Lay. I <laughs> thought LSU was definitely gonna win that game when I went to sleep in about the thirdish quarter. I thought LSU was gonna oh, win wow. that game. Um. Because I think the last I watched of that was Auburn's just their second touchdown coming off of Bo Nix running around with his, you know, hair on fire and just throwing a ball up into the end zone and some white guy catching it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's never happening again. Well, it happened a few more times, um, <laughs> and they go on to win the game. Um, but my, my question that I have on you here before we get into full away days rivalry week um, talk with Georgia and Auburn playing next week <laughs> What percentage of that game was was cap there, Lay? Like, did Auburn show you things that you don't think they can recreate? Because that's kind of where I'm leaning. Yeah, um, you know, I thought that the defense was played well. You know, it started off slow, which has kind of been a trend of this Auburn defense is they, they take a while to get into games, but once they figure it out, they stop it. So I think that the defense 
there are parts of it that are legit. Uh, Bo Nix, you know, I, I just said that I would have started him, and I'm glad that was the case. But still, some of those throws that he made were off of plays where you're screaming, no, 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 because he's scrambling 10 yards back, and that usually results uh, in a pick or just a just a not good play, a fourth down. Um, and it, it just, he just finished this time. And some of those plays, I think, were a little lucky. But <clears throat> this was an LSU team that I just did not have a lot of confidence in. I felt pretty good about Auburn going into this game, and I expected us to win, honestly. So uh, as far as what's cap and what's not, Bo Nix plays better. I don't know if he can replicate the kind of stuff that he had uh, Saturday night. Yeah, it, it just gave me real – not even Johnny Manziel vibes, because Johnny Manziel was actually pretty good. Like, Bo sucks. <laughs> like, he's not – you don't get benched against Georgia State if you've actually got something there, you know. Um, and I think he's about to – not even that he's going to get exposed against Georgia, because people know what he is. Like, to be exposed, you have to have some sort of false narrative. Like, I think the only people drinking the Bo Kool-Aid right now are just delusional Auburn fans, which y'all generally are not all that delusional. Credit to you. So, um, But with that – if there ever was a team that's going to show you exactly what you got or more so what you don't got, it's this Georgia defense that comes into Jordan-Hare this Saturday. I will not be there. Uh, you going to that game? Probably not, I wouldn't mm, think. No, I, I tried to get a ticket. It's impossible, man. Um, can't imagine why Auburn people want to go to this beatdown. But, uh, <laughs> but in all seriousness, you've got a Georgia team who – Again, I'm not a rankings guy until it matters, The that being the playoff rankings. Georgia, you could make the really good, strong case that they should be number one in the country, blowing out what people said was a number eight team in the country in Arkansas with a backup quarterback. Defense shutting them out. Um, the Georgia defense has scored more points than they've allowed. What... If you, if you put your your real thinking cap on there, Lathan, and take take the uh, the Auburn hat off for a second, realistically, <laughs> what what do you think Auburn's best case scenario is in this game? Because we talked we talked on this pod about the Jordan Hare magic, but that's going to take some damn voodoo for Auburn to to get anything <laughs> out of this game. I think. Yeah, I, I think at this point you've got the best chances. You got to stop the run. Um, and, and when we've shown that we can do that against some teams, stopped LSU from running. Um, but really, I think cause that's the only weakness. And I wouldn't even say weakness. It's just we haven't seen a lot of Georgia passing because they, in reality, they haven't had to pass. So I think the only chance we have is to kind of make them check, pass, do something that they really haven't done a lot of, and then see where it goes from there. But other than that, I, I don't see much about what we can get going. Unless we have another just Bo Nix, just <laughs> another magical outing from him, which I, like we said earlier, I don't know if that'll be the case. I would debate your point about not having to have passed yet, just because you're right, we didn't have to do it against Arkansas, but there's a reason we didn't, is because we had to start Stetson Bennett, and that's just not ideal. I hear a lot of people who aren't Georgia fans coming at me like, oh man, like y'all... Maybe y'all should start that Stetson Bennett guy. Like he's good. No, 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 no. It's we're gonna. As much as I love our run game and I love the mailman, he's he's done. He's done so admirably for the program, and he deserves honestly nothing but praise and respect for it. But understand what he is, though, and he's not a starting quarterback. But 
You look at the game against South Carolina, JT Daniels passes for 300 yards and three TDs. Um, again, not a good South Carolina team, but that's throwing on the SEC opponent. UAB, similar thing, 288 yards, five touchdowns for Stetson. Again, JT Daniels even playing that game. Um, and look at the Clemson numbers here. JT Daniels, just 135 yards there, but threw the ball 22 times. He's 22 of 30. So I think Auburn's best chance is they need Stetson to play, first and foremost. I think I think if JT Daniels is healthy, it's you, there's no shot, really. But, um, but yeah, I think Georgia opening as uh, – they're 14-point favorites, I think, uh, maybe 13-and-a-half, which actually reminds me, we forgot to make soccer picks on that. We can just tack those on at the end of this here. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it is a big rivalry. It's a game I love. Um, Jordan-Hare is an awesome place to be, and it's an awesome place to have a big game. It's going to be the primetime CBS 330. Um, Gary Danielson's bum-ass on the call. So, you know, it'll have all the makings of some crazy shit that we've seen happen in Jordan-Hare before, but I just I don't think it's it's in the cards um, this time around. And honestly, really running up against it here. Had a lot more soccer talk, I think. We're already, like, well over. We're already yeah. over an hour um, and haven't even touched NFL. So, real quickly, let's go college football picks and then speed run here through the NFL before we get out of here. Um, top games this week. Number four, Penn State at number three, Iowa. Didn't talk any Big Ten, really. Um, in this pot up to this point, but it, it's put up or shut up time here for, I guess it's kind of the cursed number three spot that Oregon just vacated is Iowa about to show <laughs> what they're really made out of sitting there. Iowa, three-point favorites at home. I like them right on that number. Vegas knows something we don't. I'm going to follow it there. I think Iowa gets it done 27-24. Uh, for Auburn's sake, I hope Penn State is the team that people think they are. And I've mentioned multiple times about my lack of confidence in Iowa's offense. So I'm going Penn State 27-13. All right, and then next up we have it on the board. Number two, Georgia at number 18, Auburn. Auburn plus 14 and a half. I have 31 to 13, Georgia. It's just about a cover. And Laith typing in, <laughs> not only did you just, you could have left it blank, but you know, you wrote not picking it. What's what's the deal here? Hey, you screwed me with that uh, against the Penn State game. The, the, <laughs> the voodoo works both ways. I don't want to be screwing myself over. Um, but I guess just for fun, I guess if I pick against Auburn, maybe the opposite will happen. Uh, I think that 14-point underdog number is probably fairly accurate. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the you tried to put the voodoo on me. I said I'm not pulling a Kirk Herb Street last week when I picked Georgia against Arkansas, and it worked out well. But, uh, <laughs> but okay, so well, both on the dogs there. And then lastly – a game I'm actually really excited to watch. I'm actually really glad I'm kind of not going to a game this week so I can sit down and watch this one. Number six, Oklahoma against number 21, Texas um, in the Cotton Bowl, Red River Showdown. I kind of like an upset spot here for Texas, but at the same time, Oklahoma owns this rivalry as of late. But I'm going to take Texas in a close one, 34-28. Yeah, it looks like we're thinking the same. When I make my picks, I cover up yours so I don't have any kind of influence or anything. I got Texas winning 35-24. Hmm. Well, for a guy who says he doesn't copy it, you straight up like copied me exactly last week, and then uh, at least you at least you took Penn State this time. We got a different one, but yeah, I think fairly fairly even there. And then NFL basically big headlines really just uh, how about those Cardinals, man? Like I just real quick, you believers oh. in the cards or not? I think you have to be at this point. They've shown a lot. 
Mm. Are they better than the Rams, though? Yes, they just beat them. Who are you more confident in, actually, when it comes down to it in January, Super Bowl time? Rams or Cards? Uh, I don't know if you can beat the Rams twice, so I, I would go Rams if, if that was the scenario. Well, they're going to get to play them again. It's division. Um, yeah. But oh, they, that's right. That's right. They did do the hard one first. They got the win in, <laughs> in L.A. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's like I almost intended to say I want to believe it when I see it, but they're 4-0. Like, you've kind of seen it. It's, <laughs> I just don't really know. What, it, what is it that Mahomes said? I'll see it when I believe it. <laughs> then he got the, the saying completely backwards. Something like uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, Cardinals only team to reach 4-0 so far. Raiders have a chance to do it tonight. We did make that pick last week. I have Chargers. You have Raiders, so you think they are going to get to 4-0 with it. Still feeling that confident in it? Yeah, I'm feeling good, and I need Waller to show out. So there we go. Yeah, real quick, I also need a Monday Night Miracle. Need 25 from Eckler to win in my league that I care about a lot. I actually think I'm about to start 0-4 in our league. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So tough, tough there. I'm down bad, but not quite as down bad as Urban Meyer. Uh, (laughs) Forget the rest of the actual on-field headlines. If there's one thing in the NFL I had to get in this podcast before we leave. Man, like, I don't even know what to say about that. Like, I mean, because everybody knew he was a scumbag, really, but I kind of – I don't know if I feel bad for him. I don't think I do. But on like a dude no. level, a certain part of me is like, dang, man, like you just got like you just gotta be better than that, you know. Yeah, I mean and he's he's married too. Uh, I don't know. Did you read the article that's associated with the video? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he said he was going to to visit his grandchildren. Boy, uh, I hope that young lady up there wasn't one of them because she certainly was <laughs> the right age for him. Yeah, good point, good point. Think about that. Um, yeah, man, that's just like... In today's day and age, and granted, he actually is old enough to where he didn't grow up with that, you know? So he's not maybe used to having the camera all the time, but at this point in his career, he's got to be like, you got you got to be better than that. And if you don't know what we're talking about, just look it up. It's not, it's not like NSFW or anything, but... Yeah, I don't feel like describing it, so just, just go check it out. But with that said, top games in the league coming up this week. Another big one in the NFC West, Rams at Seahawks. Both teams looking for a a better grip on that division or just trying to keep pace with the Cardinals. Seahawks, home underdogs, plus one and a half. I like the Rams to bounce back, but man, Vegas, they know what they're doing. 32-30 Rams going to be right on that number, I think. Yeah, I got the Rams pulling this one out, 31-27. Next up, Bills at Chiefs matchup, a rematch of last year's AFC title game where the Chiefs got it done. Um, Bills look like world beaters so far. They're just blowing the hell out of teams, but they also haven't played the best competition. Chiefs, on the other hand, have been looking a little shaky, but played probably some better teams. Chiefs minus 2.5 at home. I think that number is a little surprising. Um, I, I think that's really just the home field advantage being worth the three points, like the old adage goes. But I think I like the Bills to go into, into uh, Arrowhead Stadium. I almost said mile high there, but <laughs> go into Arrowhead Stadium and beat them 37-34. Yeah, I need to see a little bit more uh, from Mahomes and the Chiefs at this point. I got Bills 30-27. to And then almost – I have this still on the pick just to remind folks as we get ready to head into uh, – into Monday Night Football, because nobody will listen to this till tomorrow morning, but fresh on your mind who won and who lost here since we have a differing pick. I have Chargers tonight, 24-23. Lath has Raiders, 24-21. And then our pick for next week, Browns at Chargers. Chargers plus a half point, so basically pick them 
Um, Browns looking really good so far this season. I like the Browns to go over there, get it done 24-21. to 21. Yeah, Browns looking really impressive this year. Uh, I got this final score being 28-24. Good deal. Well, again, our NFL picks have been pretty sorry. I think if we look at the season totals so far, we're both at 4-7. and seven. Chance to claw back. College football been pretty good. And really where we've been money, like if you're actually betting on any of the things we say, at least me anyway, and the soccer pick them, sitting at 8-4, and four, which again, when you have win-loss or draw in there, that's a pretty solid return. And don't want to forget um, our picks there, so we'll quickly run through our top matches coming up in the... And honestly, we probably might as well do all the picks at the end of the pod anyway, so that people just want to jump to those or remember what those were, they can. Bayern at Leverkusen, matchup between number one and number two in the Bundesliga. Bayern looking to bounce back. I think they do in easy fashion, 3-1 to the Bavarians. Yep, Bayern writes the ship, finish this one off 3-0. Yeah, I may look at and see if I can actually bet on that because hopefully Vegas is kind of leaning Leverkusen just because they're number two, but probably <laughs> everybody knows what Byron's going to do. Next up, Inter at Lazio. Uh, clash between two top six teams in the Serie A. Inter are just pro-draw creators. Like, they should have drawn Real Madrid the other day in the UCL. They did draw Shakhtar in the UCL. Um, I, th- I like another draw here, 1-1. Yeah, I don't think this is the Lazio we've seen in recent seasons. I'm going enter 2-1. And then lastly, doubleheader in Serie A. Probably one of the few times this will happen this year um, that we have two picks from the Italian league in it. But Roma at Juve. Neither of these teams looking super strong. Juve do get a big win over Chelsea in the UCL. I think they keep it going, but they're not a team that's going to blow out anybody. I like 1-0 to Juve. Uh, I got this one in and in the draw, 1-1, the UCL UCL high gets them. All right. Well, a good amount of differing picks this time for for you and I, so hopefully we'll have have the gap grow even bigger in both of them. Um, But thanks for tuning in, as always. be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I think we've even we may even be on SoundCloud at this point, but got about ten minutes till Monday Night Football. So again, reminder for everybody: I got the Bolts, Lates got the Raiders. Praying for Eckler to do well. I'll root for Waller for you if you'll root for Eckler. For me. How about that? <laughs> All right. Sounds good. I appreciate it. <laughs>